Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, episode 145. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, creativity instigator and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, here to explore and investigate anything and everything having to do with transformation through play at work and at home. Whether you think of yourself as creative or not, all humans are wired to create. And play is one of the most effective ways we do that. But as adults, too many of us have forgotten how to play. The creative sandbox way is my method back to what we all know how to do instinctively. It's a mindset and it's a way of life. And now it's a podcast. And I am so glad you're here. This episode is sponsored by Create and Incubate Retreat 2016, which is September 12th through 16th, Wednesday through Sunday. Give space to your art for five days and four nights with me and walk away transformed. It is a small retreat. There's only 12 total, including me. And most of those spots were snapped up by returning alums from last year. So as of right now, there are only four spots left. Early bird pricing and installment plans are available right now. And you can see what past retreatants have to say. There's videos with uh, actual testimonials from past retreatants. Um, You can hear what they have to say and come join us over at createandincubateretreat.com. That's createandincubateretreat.com. And you may hear that my voice sounds rather froggy today because I have the flu. I'm on day eight right now. I feel really cruddy. And that is part of why Today's episode is one from the archives. I have been too wiped out to do anything else. And quite frankly, I am done with pushing myself to exhaustion. Been there, done that. And these days, when I can opt for the self-care route, that's what I do. And also, you know what? It is never a bad thing to do a refresher of the basics. So this episode is my a refresher of my 10 Creative Sandbox Way guideposts, formerly known as my 10 Creative Sandbox rules. I changed them from rules, quote unquote, to guideposts when I wrote my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. <clears throat> this was originally published as episode five. So this is going way back a couple of years back into the archives. Actually, two two and a half years ago, came out in, I believe, July of 2015. If you would like to go after you listen to this episode, if you'd like to go deeper into the guideposts and my whole Creative Sandbox Way philosophy, check out my book, The Creative Sandbox Way, which you can find at an Amazon near you. Uh, but you can actually download the first 50 pages for free at creativesandboxway.com. That's creativesandboxway.com. 
Anyway, enjoy this blast from the past from when the podcast was still called Live Creative Now. So you're gonna get the whole thing with the intro and everything. So if it, if that's confusing, yeah, the podcast used to be called livecreativenow.com. And um, yeah, anyway, I am gonna go crawl into bed. <laughs> so yeah, see you next week. Enjoy. Welcome to Live Creative Now with Melissa Dinwiddie, a weekly podcast to inspire you to create your art and share your work. Because that's how you will change the world. Hey there, this is Live Creative Now, episode five. And I am Melissa Dinwiddie, passion pluralite artist, happiness catalyst, and creativity instigator here to address all your questions about living a full color creative life. This episode is sponsored by Creative Sandbox 101, the little e-course that sparks big transformation and has gotten over a thousand people back into their creative groove. The next session runs July 14th through 20th. And as a Live Creative Now listener, you can join me for just $10 by going to lcn.creativesandbox101.com. That's LCN as in Live Creative Now. So lcn.creativesandbox101.com. And today I'm going to be talking about the creative sandbox, specifically my 10 rules for the creative sandbox, also known as my keys to creative flow. These are the 10 rules that kickstarted my creativity. So back in 2010, I was in a really, really stuck place. I had built up a business as a ketubah artist making Jewish marriage contracts and other, other artworks for life's, uh, life cycle events and usually incorporating calligraphy. And I built up this business over mm, a dozen or so years. And 2007 was my best year ever. And I was on track to make my six figure income goal the following year. But the following year was 2008. And we all know what happened in 2008. The economy crashed. And my business pretty much tanked. And I spent a couple of years basically kind of throwing money at the problem, trying to find a silver bullet solution to revive my flagging Ketuba business. The business was still going, but it was, it had just dropped so much and I was in the state of desperation. So cut to 2010. I was desperate <laughs> and my, uh, my mortgage was coming due and I didn't know how I was going to pay it. And a series of crises happened, which I will go into in another episode that made me realize that something had to change in my life. I needed to get back to where I wanted to be. I had been off track. I had been so burned out from this business that wasn't nourishing me anymore in the way that I needed to be nourished. And I wasn't making art for myself. I was only making art for the business, art for clients. And I kept telling myself that 
it was just a matter of not having enough time, blah, 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 blah. Well, all those were excuses. So in March of 2010, I had really made this decision. I'd hit bottom and I'd realized something had to change. And I went off to a retreat with my calligraphy guild that I go to every year. It's the one place for the decade before that, that I had made art for myself. And I was in this roiling, <laughs> massive uncertainty. My relationship had ended. I didn't know. I, I knew that I, I wanted to do something else, not just be a Ketuba artist. And I was pretty lost. And I spent the entire retreat mostly walking and writing. I didn't make art at all. I was just writing, 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 processing, processing, processing. And the very last day, we had just the morning in order to work in the scriptorium before lunch. And then that was the end of the retreat. And I was taking a shower. And this phrase popped into my head, just out of nowhere, just popped into my head. A woman in love with her life is absolutely irresistible. A woman in love with her life is absolutely irresistible. And I was back on the dating market, so I definitely wanted to be absolutely irresistible. (laughs) And I was not in love with my life at that moment. I was wanting to get back in love with my life. And I madly finished up my shower repeating that phrase over and over and over again until I could run down the hall with a towel wrapped around me and write it down. And then I went down, I got dressed, of course, and I went down into the scriptorium and I made this piece of art, the only piece of art that I made at that retreat. And it's very simple. It is, I'll have it in the show notes. It's three brush strokes that together make a woman in this, she looks kind of like she's dancing, like she's, it's a celebratory kind of uh, posture. It's very abstract. And it says in calligraphy, a woman in love with her life is absolutely irresistible. And I was just enthralled with this notion and with this piece. And I went home and I made a series of pieces in that same style with these brushstroke women with phrases that I needed to hear in my own life. One of them, for example, said, 100% responsible for my own happiness. And it also showed a, a dancing sort of female shape. One says, why compare myself to others? There's no comparison because my biggest struggle is the comparison trap. So I made about five or six of these, and I called them my irresistible woman line. And then, oh, sometime after that, I think it was 2011, my yoga teacher and I did did a trade, and I, I helped her build her website, and she's also a life coach, and she did some life coaching with me. And she, I told her how much I wanted to get back to making art. And I, once again, had wasn't making art, wasn't making art, and feeling really, really frustrated about that. And she asked me, why? What does it give you? Why do you want to make art? And I said, well, it makes me happy. It makes like the whole rest of my day goes better if I make art, if I spend some time making art. And she said, okay, well, sounds like doing it daily and doing it first thing in the morning. <laughs> would be best for you if it makes the whole rest of your day go better. And she had seen some of my breaststroke women, my irresistible woman line. And she said, you know, you should make some yoga, yoga postures 
these would be great for yoga postures. And she loaned me a book of pictures of somebody in yoga postures. And I got very excited about that. And I went home and I started expanding this line. And and I added these yoga women, these yogini, and I called it my irresistible yogini line. And I'll also share that in the show notes. There's one with a female form in warrior two and one with a female form in triangle pose. And there's about five of those. But not that long after I got maybe a couple weeks, I'd been making these yoga postures, these irresistible yogini. And I found myself avoiding my art table again. It was so confusing. I didn't understand it. I couldn't figure out why. I knew I wanted to make art. Why wasn't I doing it? And then one day it occurred to me, these yoga women that I was making, they required a lot of meticulous planning and designing. I would literally, I would take a brush and red paint and I would do 50 identical strokes. And then I would find the best stroke out of those 50 and scan it into my computer and combine it with other strokes that all combined together to make this this uh, yogini. It was really tedious. <laughs> I did not, I, it was, it felt like client work. It didn't feel like play to me. And I realized, oh my God, I need to play. My creative spirit wants to be let loose. She wants to make messes. She wants to be like, and I got this picture of my little, at the time he was three years old, I think, my little three-year-old nephew who has red hair just like me. I wanted to be like him playing in a sandbox, just making messes, no concern about the outcome, right? When you're playing in a sandbox, you're just having fun. You're just exploring. You're just experimenting. You're making, you're getting your hands dirty. You're making things. You're destroying them. You're rebuilding them. And it was like this enormous light bulb just went bing over my head. The creative sandbox. That is what I needed. I needed to be in a creative sandbox. That has become a flagship metaphor for me. It infuses everything I do. In that moment, though, back in, I think it was 2011, I'd spent so many years making art for clients that I had quite literally forgotten how to play. I had forgotten how to let go of trying to make an amazing, perfect, excellent thing to please a client and I needed help. So I started developing a set of rules or guidelines for myself to help me let go of perfectionism. And over a period of a couple of years, those initial rules, I had about four of them to start, expanded out into 10. And in 2011, starting on February 1st, which is when I started my 15 minutes a day challenge to myself to paint every day, I made more art than I had in the previous decade, possibly in my entire life, actually. I made more art in that 11 months than I had possibly in my whole life and definitely in the previous decade. Over 150 finished pieces. And the reason 
the thing that enabled me to do that were these 10 rules for the creative sandbox, which I turn to. I am not kidding you. I turn to these on an almost daily basis. I have the poster that I made up in a very easy to see spot in my studio so I can consult it. And I consult it a lot. So without any further ado, I now present to you my 10 rules for the creative sandbox, aka my keys to creative flow. Number one, there is no wrong. Now, we have spent our entire lives learning that there is a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. Lots of wrong ways to do things, right? And that includes in art. I remember uh, in elementary school learning, whether it was an adult telling me or just seeing what I saw around me. This is how you draw a cat. This is how you draw a horse. This is how blah, 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 blah. Zebras are not purple. Zebras are black and white, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When there is a wrong and a right, it makes it really hard to just let go and play. In art, there really is no wrong. No matter what your teachers might have told you in art school, there is no wrong. There is no right. In the creative sandbox, this is play. The point is simply that you're having fun. And that brings me to rule number two. Rule number two is think process, not product. When I first developed this rule, it was much longer and more unwieldy. It was basically, it doesn't matter if you if I like what I create or hate what I create, all that matters is that I'm having fun. In four words, think process, not product. When I first got back into my studio and started creating again, I remember painting a piece and I had such a blast painting it. I was so high and it was such utter crap. I I, it, I like I wanted to burn it at the end. It was so god awful ugly. But I was able to remember, thank God, the feeling of creating it. Because that, that is the important part. That's what we're after. That's the gold. The product is secondary. That's the frosting. It's the experience, the process of making it. That is where the gold is. You can edit, you can craft your heart's content later, but in the creative sandbox, this is all about letting out your inner four-year-old. If you look at any four-year-old, they are way more interested in the experience of creating than they are in what they made. And again, if this is a tough concept to wrap your head around, think about that sandbox. Think about that sandbox. Put it on the beach. Think about being on the beach. You make a sandcastle. It's going to be washed away at the next high tide, right? But it's still really, really cool and fun to make a sandcastle. So let yourself get your hands dirty, literally and metaphorically, and just enjoy the work itself. So, so far we have rule number one, there is no wrong. Rule number two, think process, not product. Rule number three is think quantity, not quality. I remember when I was in a group of calligraphers that met every month to share our work, 
one of the members, Sarah, was always bringing in like 10 times as much work as everybody else. And we had this running joke that she made six pieces before she got up in the morning. And I was so envious. I kind of hated her, even though I absolutely adored her and I loved her. But I I wanted to be like that. And I wasn't, I, I was so stuck in perfectionist paralysis that I couldn't let myself go. And Sarah would come in with 10 pieces and they weren't all very good. But because she was making so much work, she was improving. Well, the rest of us were stalled and not improving at all. The thing is, if if this idea of thinking quantity, not quality stresses you out, that, you know, if, oh my gosh, if I muck around like a four-year-old, then, you know, I'm just going to make crap. Let me assure you, as long as you aren't being sloppy, if you take care of the quantity the quality will take care of itself. There's this great story that I love from the book Art and Fear of a ceramics teacher who divided his class into two groups at the start of the semester. So everybody on the left side of the studio was going to be graded only on the quantity of the work they produced. And everybody on the right was going to be graded solely on the quality of the work that was produced. So On the first day of of class, he brought in bathroom scales and he weighed the work of the quantity group. So 50 pounds got an A, 40 pounds got a B, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other people in the other group, they only had to produce one pot, but it had to be perfect to get an A. Well, what do you think happened? Whose work do you think was better quality at the end of the semester? It was the quantity group. The quality group was agonizing and over in their corner and, you know, they sat around theorizing about perfection and thinking about it. But the quantity group was actually making tons of work. They were cranking out all these pots and they were learning from their mistakes. And they were having a lot more fun than the quality group. So that's why rule number three is think quantity not quality. As long as you aren't being sloppy, if you take care of the quantity, the quality will take care of itself, I guarantee. Now, there are certain situations in which quantity maybe doesn't work for your medium, or it just stresses you the heck out. If that is your situation, that is why I created a sub rule here, rule 3B, or don't think quantity. If for some reason it just doesn't work for you, and that actually goes for all of my rules for the Creative Sandbox, don't do it. Intentionally don't do it. But all that I ask and recommend is that you, whatever you do, that you are intentional about it. Ultimately, my overarching rule, the platinum rule, the diamond rule, whatever you want to call it, the overarching rule is whatever works is right. So... Rule number three B, or don't think quantity. Rule number four is think tiny and daily. This is one sure way to focus on quantity rather than quality, and that's to keep your investment in any individual piece of work really, really small. So my business, my Katuba business, I made these very meticulously designed commissioned artworks that would take me anywhere from 30 hours to 
250 hours to complete. And when I got back, when I got into the creative sandbox, developed this concept, I was determined to dump that perfectionism and focus on cranking out as many pieces as possible. I wanted to be like that quantity group in the ceramics class. And in order to do that, I had to radically change my working style so that I wasn't spending dozens or hundreds of hours on every single piece. And I was really inspired by an interview that I did with daily painter Carol Marine, who found her flow and built a very profitable business as an artist when she switched over from these enormous canvases to teeny tiny ones, usually no more than four inches or six inches square. Because the thing is, when finishing a piece doesn't require this enormous time investment, it is so much easier to let go of perfection and just crank them out like that quantity group in the ceramics class. So if you're a painter, try working really small and see, do it as an experiment. If you're a writer, try taking on a very small word count commitment, maybe 500 words or three minutes of writing, or like I did a year long three by five by 365 writing challenge in which I wrote, filled up a three by five card to a one word prompt every day for an entire year. Tiny, tiny. Whatever your creative expression is, if it is one that allows you to inject like little tiny, tiny bursts of time, I recommend keeping that time commitment really tiny, but consistent. And if it's at all possible daily. When I started playing in the creative sandbox, my commitment was to 15 minutes a day minimum. That is it. And what I discovered, which completely blew my mind, was that 15 minutes was actually enough to get me into a state of flow. I mean, totally, completely removed from my ego. Time was, you know, not there. It was so blissful. In just 15 minutes, I could get there. It was astonishing to me. And then because my commitment was so tiny, just 15 minutes, it got me to start. That is the hardest part. That's where we get the most friction, starting friction. Once you start, it's usually pretty easy to keep going. The most surprising gift of all, though, of my tiny and daily practice was that putting just a little tiny bit in every day made me feel much more immersed in my creativity than I ever would have anticipated and much more immersed than I would have if I had spent like two hours once a week, say, which would have been more than 15 minutes a day, right? So it was like that teeny tiny daily practice kept my toe in the creative stream. My personal commitment now is any amount counts. And I owe this this uh, this phrase to my friend Laureen Marchand, which who I will link to in the show notes, any amount counts, because that is what gets me to start. And once I start, it's not usually not a problem to keep going. So that's rule number four, think tiny and daily. And that covers a physical size, it covers time, time size as well. Rule number five is just start anywhere, start anywhere. 
So this rule has has gotten me past so many blocks. I have had so many serious creative blocks in my life, including two really dark periods that each lasted over a decade. And each time I've been in one of these blocks, I have been so scared that I had completely lost the ability to create, the ability to be creative at all, that it had just been permanently quashed out of me. But each time I discovered that the secret to getting those creative taps to flow again is simply to do something. It doesn't matter what you do. Just as you can't theorize your way to a perfect pot, you cannot intellectualize your way to creativity. It requires action. You have to do something. (laughs) And it's amazing. If you do something, that loosens up the rusty creative taps and it opens them up and they start to flow again. So back in 2010, when I decided I wanted to start making art again, and I was burned out on my old meticulous style of working, and I decided I was going to try playing with stretched canvas, which I'd never used before. And I had no idea how to paint on canvas. I'd never used acrylic paints before. So I bought some canvases at an art store, and it took me months to work up the courage to open them up because I wasn't thinking in terms of canvases only wasted when it stays in the wrapping, right? <laughs> Paper's only wasted when it stays in the drawer. Paint is only wasted when it stays in the tube, right? I wasn't thinking about that. Eventually, many, many months later, after I bought those canvases, I, with this intention in my head to stay in my creative sandbox, stay focused on the process, I pulled out my paints and my brushes and I started making messes. That's what I thought about it. That's how I thought about it. And I really didn't like the products of those first efforts, as I talked about, but I had a lot of fun making those messes. And the best part, really within about two or three days, I started just, my mind started flooding with ideas and I couldn't wait to get into my studio to try them out. So you know, at first it was this like, I'm never, I'm never going to have a good idea. I'm never going to have a good idea. And really it was like two or three days. (laughs) And what happens is when you start something, something triggers the flow and then you start having ideas and those ideas lead to new ideas, which lead to new ideas, which, which lead to new ideas. So trust me on this. If you just start anywhere, you will be surprised at how quickly your creative juices get flowing again. Whenever I'm stuck with a writing project, I don't know where to start. I don't, uh, I don't know what to write about. I don't, I don't know how to tackle this particular topic. I just start. And maybe the first pass is going to be completely thrown out. But the thing that, that I start writing in paragraph six, that's going to be the gold, right? I never would have gotten to that thing if I hadn't written those other five paragraphs. So starting, that was the key. Just start anywhere. Rule number five. Rule number six is when in doubt, ask what if. Experimentation is all about trying things just to see what will happen. And creativity is not about perfection and technical mastery, often we we get stuck thinking that it is, right? That that it's about being this amazing acrobat or amazing technical whiz. But that's not what creativity is about. 
It's about finding solutions to problems. It's about making discoveries and allowing them to pull you in a new direction. When you express an idea in a way that pleases you, you might get going with this idea and it gets into this nice groove. But if you keep going, eventually that groove gets really deep and it turns into a rut. Ruts never feel like the creative sandbox. They feel more like a trap. And the quickest way out of a rut is to ask, what would happen if? What if I drip the paint instead of brush it? What what if I smear it around with my hand? What if I turn this canvas upside down? What if I flip it around and paint on the back? What if I sew on the canvas? I started doing that and developed an entire line of paintings from sewing with linen thread on my canvas. If you're writing, what if the character in my story goes left instead of right? If you're playing music, what if I tap on my ukulele instead of strumming it? These are the kinds of questions that can really quickly get you back messing around in that creative sandbox. So that's rule number six, when in doubt, ask what if, or just ask what if, if you want the three word version. Rule number seven is take the riskier path. So the longer version of this rule, when I first was developing these rules for the creative sandbox was something like, when I get to the place in the painting where I'm, I know that it's not finished and it needs something, but I'm afraid that if I add to it, I'm going to ruin it. Take that, take, take that chance, take that risk and just ruin it, baby. Because the worst thing that's going to happen is that I'll learn something. Maybe I'll even develop a brand new technique. Who knows? And even if I throw the piece out, guess what? I'm, I'm practicing tiny and daily and I'm practicing quantity, not quality. So I'm going to be cranking out a new piece very, very soon. So nowadays, the way that I work as a visual artist, and in fact, as a performer, and as a coach and a teacher, as a musician, I love working improvisationally in this realm of complete uncertainty. <laughs> I, uh, When I'm painting, I start with absolutely no preconceived idea at all, and I just make a random mark. And I see where that mark kind of tells me to go. I respond to that mark. And then I respond to that. And then I respond to that. Now, my editor comes in throughout this process. Even though I come to the creative sandbox focused on the process, there's always a back and forth between my four-year-old inner inner creative spirit and my editor. So it's a little bit of a, a Zen koan or something, a, a bit of a contradiction where I have the intention of keeping the focus on the process. But of course, I also want to end up with something that pleases me. Of course I do. We all do. We all want to come out with something that feels well-crafted, that feels finished. And so that creates a bit of a tension. There's always a moment in the art create, creation process when a piece doesn't feel done. And there's, you know, the editor comes in. And that's where this rule comes in handy, take the riskier path. My editor comes in and says, Oh, I like this, I don't want to lose it. And my creative sandbox rule reminds me to go ahead and try it. Go ahead and let yourself ruin it. I don't want to get stuck 
in preciousness. I don't want to get stalled in the land of UFOs, the land of unfinished objects, because of fear that I w- I'm going to mess them up. That is a direct route back to stuckness. And that is the opposite direction of where I want to be. So I'd much rather crank out a bunch of quote unquote ruined disasters than never finish anything out of fear that I'm going to mess it up. So that's the creative sandbox path of growth and learning. Do the thing you fear. If you're a visual artist, go ahead and make liberal use of your digital camera or your scanner. If you want to hang on to what you've got before you take that risky step, by all means, but then take that risky step. It's really scary. But I tell you, you know, the more you get used to doing things that scare you, boy, the better equipped you're going to be to deal with everything in life. So that's rule number seven, take the riskier path. Rule number eight is dismiss all gremlins. Gremlins are what I call those self-critical, self-doubting voices that we all have inside of us. That voice that says, you're not good enough, or I'm not good enough, I'm never going to be good enough. It can talk in first person, it can talk in third person. It might say, who do you think you are to try this? Or any variation of that. Any kind of negative self-talk, that is a gremlin. Other people might call it the inner critic, the saboteur, monsters. They have a lot of names, these gremlins. Pick the name you like, it doesn't matter. One of my teachers and mentors, Tara Moore, she likens these nasty internal voices to a guard patrolling the edge of your comfort zone. As long as you stay safely inside your comfort zone, the guard can get a cup of coffee, can go to sleep, it can get a pedicure. But the second you start to get close to the edge, that is when those nasty voices start yelling at you. And that is why gremlins never go away. Because as long as we are continually pushing the envelope, pushing our comfort zone, we are always going to hear those gremlins. And learning how to tame them is it's a lifelong process. I have learned a lot of I call them ninja gremlin whispering tools. But the most important one of all is just to notice when it's a gremlin talking. Notice. Oh yeah, that is a gremlin. Gremlins like to disguise themselves with any any costume they can find. Common ones they will use are the voice of truth, the voice of wisdom, the voice of reason, right? Your job is to notice it, to discern it, to figure out, oh, that's not the voice of truth. That's a gremlin. You're not going to try to kill it. You just decide not to take direction from it. You are the one driving the bus, not your gremlins. The thing about true creativity is that it always happens in uncertainty. It always happens outside of your comfort zone, well outside of your comfort zone. Think about it. If there is certainty around what you're doing, that means it's been done before. And if it's been done before, it's not truly creative. So that means that every single time you engage in a creative act, your gremlins are going to get really loud and really nasty. When you know this, though, you are pre-armed. 
I highly recommend that you intentionally set up your creative sandbox space as a gremlin free zone. You might even put up a a sign that says gremlin free zone. Notify your gremlins that they are not welcome inside your creative sandbox. They will ignore you and they will fear. So your job is to continue to notice them and to remove them. And you can have a lot of fun with this by literally acting out, picking up your gremlins, putting them outside, closing the door, or you can imagine drop kicking them out the window if you're in a less peaceful mood or sending them off somewhere. Your gremlins are really trying to protect you. They're trying to help you protect you from getting hurt, but they do it in a way that doesn't feel good. So the best thing to do is to notice them, love them up. I like to send mine off to get a pedicure. My my gremlins get way more pedicures than I do. When they come back, I just say, oh, there you are. Thank you, but you're not, you're not needed here. I'm sending you off to Hawaii to get a pedicure. So that is rule number eight, dismiss all gremlins. Rule number nine is spring the comparison trap. Oh boy, this is basically a very particular form of gremlin. I like to call it the comparison trap. It's also known as the compare and despair syndrome. You know what it is. If you've ever looked at somebody else's work and you've thought, oh my God, I wish I could create something as awesome as that. My work's never going to be that good. I suck. That is what it feels like to be caught in the comparison trap. Now, I confess, I am a four on the Enneagram, and our core issue is challenge is envy. So it's not really that much of a surprise, perhaps, that I step in the comparison trap multiple times a day. I've gotten very good at pulling myself out, at springing that comparison trap. I had a revelation about this comparison thing years and years ago in a workshop on making decorated letters. Some of us had, well, actually, I think everyone in the class had spread out our little projects that we've been working on throughout the throughout the weekend on the floor. So we, it was sort of like a little gallery so we could see everybody's work. And I was admiring somebody else's work who I had just been envious of the entire workshop. I was thinking to myself, God, her work is so cool and interesting. I wish my work was as cool and interesting as hers. Mine is so boring in comparison. I was feeling so crappy about myself. (laughs) And then the most astonishing thing happened to me. That very student turned to me and said, Melissa, your work is so cool and interesting. I I wish my work was like yours. (laughs) She had no idea what I was thinking in my head right then. And this like big light bulb went off. I realized that It wasn't that her work was inherently better than my work, which of course was how I was feeling that it was. What was happening was that her work felt more interesting and exciting to me than my own work because it came from her unconscious, this place that is really completely unknown to me. My own unconscious, although it's not entirely known because it's unconscious, right? It's dramatically more familiar than anybody else's is to me. So of course, my work is going to feel more familiar and hence more boring to me than anybody else's work. But the truth is that each of us has a unique voice, a unique way of expressing ourselves. And that way is just as valid as any other way. And using 
that unique way of yours to express what's inside of you, that is your birthright. That is your gift to the universe. And if any judgment starts to hone in on your creative sandbox time, don't forget rule number two, think process, not product. So rule number nine, again, is spring the comparison trap. You may have to do it multiple times a day. That's okay. Just keep springing it. And that brings us to rule number 10, treat yourself with compassion. This is the most important rule of all. I always like to say that the most important practice that we can engage in is the practice of getting back on the wagon. In other words, the most important practice is the practice of starting again, starting fresh. You're human. You will make commitments and life will get in the way and you will break those commitments. It happens. Falling off from a commitment, you know, your daily practice, whatever, is not a sign that you're a failure and should get up, give up. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to remind yourself of how you feel when you're doing what you love and to compare that with how you feel when you're not doing what you love. It's a chance to notice and to choose to start again. And you always get to start again. And by the way, if you miss a daily commitment, please don't ever double up on your commitment the next day and triple up on it. If you miss that day on the third day, please do not ever do that. That only makes it harder and harder to get back on the wagon. We want to make it as easy as possible to get back on the wagon. Or as Patty Dye once said, when I told her my metaphor of the most in practice we can engage in is, is, the, is the practice of getting back on the wagon, she said, well, then it'd be a good thing to make it a very short wagon, wouldn't it? <laughs> so yes, you always get to start again and make sure your wagon is short. Here's the thing. So many of us think that we are only going to succeed at our big goals for ourselves if we carry a big stick and beat ourselves up when we stumble. And in fact, that is not true. All the science has shown, all the studies have shown that people who forgive themselves for their willpower failures, for their stumbles, are dramatically more likely to succeed in their willpower goals than those who beat themselves up. Despite what you might have learned otherwise, despite the conventional wisdom that what you need is a good beating, all the research proves that self-compassion rather than self-flagellation is the true route to success. One of my favorite research studies had women dieters come into a lab. Ostensibly, it was for taste-testing candies, but the scientists were not actually interested in taste testing candies, they wanted to find out if compassion, self compassion would help people avoid what is known in the scientific world as the what the hell effect. The what the hell effect is, you blow your diet by eating something you were trying to avoid. And you basically say what the hell and you you binge and you eat an entire, you know, dozen donuts or something that what the hell effect is, you're trying to quit smoking, you break down, you have one puff of a friend's cigarette, and you say, what the hell, and you smoke an entire pack of cigarettes, right? 
So scientists realized that, that this was a thing, that this, was, this happened to people consistently. So they wondered if compassion, self-compassion would create a, a different response. So in this particular study, they invited women dieters into a lab. And the first thing that they did was they handed them a tray of donuts and said, here, pick your favorite donut and eat the donut. So right off the bat, they're getting these women to break their diet, right? And then after they finish the donut, they give them a big glass of water and told them to drink the whole thing. So now they're feeling uncomfortably full. So they're really aware, painfully aware that they just broke their diet. So then the control group was let into this candy tasting room where they're told, eat as much as you like. And here's a sheet to rate the candies. Scientists threw the sheet of paper out at the end. They didn't care about that. They had weighed all the candy. So they knew exactly how much each subject had eaten by the end of the experiment. So that was a control group. They went straight into the candy room. The test group was given a very tiny self-compassion intervention before they went into the candy tasting room. And it went something like this. The scientists would say, you know, we've noticed that some people feel really bad about eating the donut. We just wanted to let you know, first of all, we told you to do it. So you did it for science. And, you know, don't be able to, everybody falls off their diet sometimes. So don't be too hard on yourself. And then they let those women into the candy tasting room. And at the end of the experiment, the women who had the self-compassion intervention ate one third the amount of candy as the women who did not, which suggests that the women who did not have the self-compassion intervention went straight into the what the hell effect and binged on the candy, whereas the other women didn't, didn't do that to the same degree. So great evidence that self-compassion is so helpful, much better than self-flagellation. Remember my golden formula, self-awareness plus self-compassion equals the key to everything good. Self-awareness, when you notice how you're feeling, how you're feeling now compared to how you were feeling before, how you're feeling when you fall off the wagon compared to when you don't fall off the wagon, plus self-compassion, when you treat yourself kindly, when you remind yourself that you're human, that everybody falls off the wagon, that everybody makes mistakes. Those two things together, self-awareness plus self-compassion, truly are the key to everything good. So those are my 10 rules. Again, one, there is no wrong. Two, think process, not product. Three, think quantity, not quality. Four, think tiny and daily. Five, if you're stuck, just start anywhere. Number six, when in doubt, ask what if. Number seven, take the riskier path. Number eight, dismiss all gremlins. Number nine, spring the comparison trap. And number 10, treat yourself with compassion. And now I'm going to sing you a song that summarizes all of the rules. Creative Sandbox Rules Creative Sandbox Rules There is no wrong Think process Not product 
don't think quantity, think tidy and daily, ridiculously achievable, remember the most important practice is just getting back on the wagon, so it's a very good thing to make it a very short wagon, if you are stuck, just start anywhere, when in doubt, ask what if, and take the riskier path. Dismiss all gremlins, spring the comparison trap, and don't forget, treat yourself with compassion. Remember the golden formula, self-awareness plus self-compassion equals the key to everything good. There you have it, creative sandbox rules. Go get creating. So that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you're getting value out of this podcast. If you are, I would so love it if you would leave a review over on iTunes. I pay attention to those reviews, so it's really helpful for me to make this podcast what you want it to be. And ratings and reviews make a huge difference in how the show is ranked, and that makes a huge difference in helping other people find it, and that helps grow the creative uprising. So you can play a really important role in this movement simply by leaving an iTunes review. Also, if you have a question about living a creative life that you'd like me to address on the show, type it into your iTunes review and you might just hear it featured on a future episode. Yes, to incentivize you to leave a review, I prioritize questions that are left in iTunes reviews. If you want me to give you a shout out, if I use your question, be sure to include your Twitter ID so I know who you are. And if you'd like your voice on the show, just go to livecreativenow.com slash questions, and you can leave me a voice message. But remember, I give first priority to questions left in reviews on iTunes. So after you leave your voice message, make sure to go and leave your review in iTunes so that I will see it and pop it to the front of the queue. Thanks again for joining me. And until next time, go get creating. Subscribe at livecreativenow.com. Subscribe at creativesandboxway.com slash podcast.